Tonight's New Testament reading can be found on page 2 of your bulletin. Uh, We'll start with John 16, verses 31 through 33. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Philippians 1, 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. This is the word of the Lord. Will you join me as we pray? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living God, you know the world that we live in. You entered it. You know the struggles that we have in this room. You know them intimately. We pray that you would use your living word for all it is, a light, a balm, a sword, bread. Be all of that, Lord Jesus, in our midst. In Christ's name, amen. In 1997, actor Nick Nolte played a character of a washed-up town sheriff, small-town sheriff in New Hampshire. And uh, he doesn't make much money. He's doing a bunch of side jobs. He's been long divorced. His, his ex-wife has contempt for him. He wants custody of his daughter. She really just spends time with him out of duty. He lives on the edge of emotion. He's a heavy drinker. His father has been abusive. He comes from a troubled past. And the name of the film, appropriately, is Affliction. Affliction. Now, the idea of affliction is a common one in the Bible. But it means more than just sickness. Affliction is a big word. It includes things like oppression, poverty, abuse, disease, many afflictions. And it's no fiction because, of course, here we are. And this is a room of hundreds of stories of affliction. 
because we live in this world, no country, no culture, no color, no class escapes the groaning under affliction. And the Bible gives an explanation of this in general. Um, We'll talk about specifics in a moment. But we come to understand that uh, this affliction, of course, was never the original intent of God. The original desire of God. But it it came rushing into the world when our first parents turned away from God. And so the avalanche of sin and a sin-ridden world was the result. Every now and then we have this moment in our lives where we get a glimpse of the negative impact we've had in a situation. Maybe upon a relationship or at work. And we see it and uh, we're overwhelmed at how much bad can come from a bad decision or a difficult situation. And you multiply that over and over and again, and you find that we live in a world where we can't walk without bumping into affliction. We can't breathe without smelling its odor. This is the real world that we live in. And Christians are not immune from it. Psalm 34 says, Not few, but many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. And that raises, I think, the hardest question that we'll wrestle with in this series. As we're talking about the promises of God. How do the promises of God in my affliction, your affliction, coexist together? How can that be? How can I hear something like a Psalm 103 that says, Bless the Lord who heals all your diseases and yet be sick. Bless the Lord who delivers you from evil but be a survivor of abuse. How can I reconcile these things with the character of God? In the promises of God. And to, to even begin to get a handle on it, I think there's two basic things we have to look at. One is really the problem of affliction or the nature of affliction in general. And then God's promise in it. So that's what I want us to do briefly uh, as we consider these passages that were read. First of all, looking um, at the problem of affliction, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, The first thing we see when we read the Bible is we come to understand that affliction is not a mark of failure, but a mark of favor. Now, in American society, we are so success-driven. We are so driven by the idea that uh, success in my career or success in my income standing means favor. And this is one of the dangerous things about it because people can live their life not really believing God, but somehow they think God must be smiling on me because I'm doing well. And so we have this idea of favor. So when affliction comes, it's very easy, some forms of affliction go, well, that person must have messed up somehow. They're in the cycle of poverty because of the decisions they made. They're in this particular uh, circumstance because of their own folly. And let's be clear. 
There are consequences of affliction from folly and evil. You just can't get away from that. That's true. It's true in our lives. In fact, affliction in the life of someone who is living apart from God and who has not received the grace of God and who has not embraced the Son of God is meant to be a warning of something worse that could come. It can even function, I think, as a warning to those that live in the church who year after year after year after year remain embittered toward God in their affliction. But we have to understand the other side of it. And that is, for, again, the righteous, they will have many afflictions. So if you feel like you've got lots of afflictions, it may be because you're righteous. Or you heard the verse read it that it's granted to you not only to believe, but to... Did you catch that? Suffer. I don't know about you, but when I, someone invited me to believe in the Christian faith, I didn't get that other part. You know, they just said, you know, believe in Jesus, you'll know God, your sins will be forgiven. And uh, it wasn't until later that I realized, oh, this includes suffering. In the book of Acts, it says that Paul, the Apostle Paul, his ministry, he went around to all these churches and we hear he's preaching the gospel. But I love this little description. He went around strengthening the souls of the disciples and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay? And of course, Jesus himself said, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So all of this sets up a different view of affliction. And you heard it in Hebrews chapter 12. This idea that affliction is actually the mark of legitimate sons and daughters. The way the argument is going is he's saying, listen, well, this is one way to think about it. I'm not going to discipline a kid that's not in my family. Now, I went to high school where that wasn't true. They discipline you good, you know. And then you get disciplined when you get home for being disciplined. But, you know, uh, I'm not going to discipline someone that's not in my family. It's only my own child. So if you're not experiencing any affliction, well, you should wonder. I mean, I'm talking about over a whole life. If you're in a season of peace, bless you, you know. But, you know, the point is if you go through your entire life and everything's just cruising, well, you might want to go, hmm, to whom do I belong? Because suffering and sonship go hand in hand because it did for the Son of God. He was the Son of suffering and he was the Son of favor, the Son of promise. In a moment, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that uh, passage in Hebrews again. I want to come back to it. But uh, there was an old Puritan that said this He that escapes his affliction may suspect his adoption. He that escapes his affliction may suspect his adoption. He's part of the family. As the skill of a pilot is unknown except in a tempest, and the valor of a captain is unseen but in a battle, so the worth of a Christian is untried except in trial. This is part of what God does in affliction. But a second point of understanding this, the goal of affliction is not punishment but refinement. It's not punishment, but refinement. As you heard that uh, passage of Hebrews read, and you kept hearing that word discipline, 
You may go, well, wait a second, because when I think of discipline, I think of punishment. There's different words that are used in the Bible for that, but what we have here is not a word that is punitive, but formative. It's not penal, but rather it's this idea of loving correction that God gives to those that belong to him. God grabs the wheel of the affliction in our lives and he steers it toward our good and for our good. So that we might be, according to the Bible, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's this scene in the book of Revelation that I love. And it's a picture talking about the bride, the saints. And it tells you about uh, their wardrobe. It says they're wearing fine linen, bright and clean. And that is a sign of enduring righteousness. That's why they're wearing that. I included this quote for you in your bulletin under the reflection. You can read along with me. While faith in Christ does not make us immune from this lot of humanity, it changes the tenor of it because the one who sovereignly apportions the trials is no longer an angry judge, but our heavenly Father. Yet we struggle with this while we're in affliction. I remember when my girls were younger and uh, they were old enough and wise enough to ask why we're why we were taking them to the doctor and of course the thought the question is always am i going to get a shot am i going to get a shot and you know you're trying not to lie but sometimes you do you know you try not to lie well no you know you just kind of go well we we'll see but you know they're getting a vaccine you know but We'll see, but you know, I guess you could say Jesus could come back before we get there and you won't get a shot. I don't know. These are the rationalizations, especially of a a minister parent. But, you know, but when you get in that thing and and the needle comes out, it's like your kid, they just look at you. You know, it's like, Fredo, you know, it's like, you know, you betrayed me. I, you know, how could you do this? The whole time where you're trying to save their lives, right? Why do you hate me? Why would you do this? And we feel that way with God and our affliction. How could this be? How could you cause pain this way to me? And yet we have a limited perspective. We at least have to admit that. Faith, in the end, is the only good interpreter. Uh, there's the, the promise in the book of James that says if you lack wisdom, a lot of times this uh, promise, you, and I think God will give us wisdom, but the context of that is when you are in trial and affliction and you need heavenly perspective, ask for wisdom, don't doubt, and I'll give it to you. So God will help us to see, it helps us with our bitterness, because maybe we don't just like lodge and hunker down to this thing. Where, you know, he's just out to get me. I mentioned last week that, um, you know, my daughter is a physical trainer. And she, you know, I've been doing some training with her. And more often than I care to admit, uh, we're in the midst of this training thing and I just lose it. I did it this Thursday. I mean, it was, you know, and uh, she had me doing these wall sits and, you know, and it was hard. And like a good trainer, she was like, what are you doing? Keep, you know, and I just said, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm trying to do the, you know, I just kind of, you know, I just lost it. But 
when I calmed down, I was sitting on the stairs, and I just looked over at her. I said, thanks for training me. <laughs> right? Every Christian, every believer will have this moment. Maybe you can indulge your imagination here where you're on the new heavens and the new earth, and you're sitting on a high hill, and you're next to Lord Jesus Christ himself, and you're looking down at the saints in their arraignment and their linen, and the big celebration is going on. And you just turn to him and you go, thanks for training me. You know, so many times I wanted to quit. Thank you. Thank you you didn't give up on me. Thank you you took me to the doctor, the great physician. But a third thing about affliction for us to get, and this is, again, hard. All of this stuff is hard. But, but the purpose is momentary rather than eternal. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about him, he is a guy that suffered a lot. Anytime that you want to say, this is really too much, you can just read about what he went through. And God really told him that. Jesus saved him, and he said, by the way, you're going to be my example of how much Christians will suffer. Not as a way of payment for sin. That's not how God works, right? That's not how he works. Because one of the things that happens in affliction is we can suffer from false guilt, right? That's why it's so important you know it's not punitive. Uh, Just like an abuser will make their victim feel guilty, the accuser of your soul will make you feel guilty because you're being afflicted. That's not why God said that to Paul. Paul was favored. But he said, you're going to be basically my theologian of suffering. So Paul went through a lot, but he said this, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. C.S. Lewis wrote a great um, essay called The Weight of Glory, which means your affliction has an expiration date. God has set the expiration date. And he has set a date for the glory to come. Which means, friends, we are in a waiting room. We're in a waiting room. We're waiting to get in to get healed. But that's where we're all together. And, uh, you know, we groan. We struggle. And we live with unanswered questions and we feel lots of confusion. One of the things that our uh, seminar leader has been, Mike Sloan, has been so wonderful at saying is, you know, one of the things that the Lord has done is he has given us space to lament to him. He knows that we are confused. He knows that we will feel betrayed by him. He knows that we will be angry with him. And he puts inspired scripture, songs of lament that help you have a word when you might wonder, is it okay if I say this to God? Is it okay that if I bring my raw heart and my affliction to him? He's saying, yes. See, other people have done it before, and I inspired them to do it. And some of this stuff is raw. I mean, if you go to Lamentations chapter 3, you know, I've mentioned this before. We love the verse that says, you know, and the steadfast love of the Lord has ever ceased. But we don't read the stuff before where Jeremiah says, it's been like you, you were like a bear lying in wait for me. It's like you've shot me through with an arrow. It's like you've grind my teeth with gravel. It's like you've done this. It's like you've done that. This ability to bring our affliction to God. And we might ask, well, God, why don't you just take it all away? 
Well, the answer in the Bible is actually kind of beautiful. He says, well, the reason I'm being patient, and it's interesting in the book of Judges where things were terrible, lots of affliction, it actually says that God became impatient over people's misery. So there's a sense where God is impatient with your misery. But the Apostle Peter says he's delaying so more and more people can turn to him. So they hear the warning signs. So in some ways, you are suffering for the sake of other people. Just like Joseph suffered for the salvation of Israel. And when we get to that comment of, well, God, what about your promises when, you know, I pray and the person I love isn't healed or I was a vulnerable child and I was, I was treated with evil. I just say, friends, that's sacred space. And no one should get in there and say, well, because of this. We get general ideas, general things about God's promises and suffering, but we do not get specific answers for that. So what I'm saying is we need to be slow, right? Slow to give people answers in that place. Uh, In fact, I find that uh, a ministry of presence becomes a blessing. So let me move on to the second thing, the promises. Uh, One thing is protection. Uh, You know, God brings protection, not ruination, into our lives. Uh, So several years ago, I was doing my walk from work, which is um, walking from Capitol Hill down to Penn Quarter, and I was going by the um, museum. And all of a sudden, like six inches behind me, I heard this, And it was like a bottle of Sprite that was dropped from the very top thing. You know, and I just kind of went, huh. I could have been killed by a bottle of Sprite, right? Which would have been all the ways that you want to go. But that's just one of those ones where you're just like, anyway. But how how many times, right, did the accident not happen? Or, you know, a friend of mine who, it's a botched operation, they have to go and reoperate, and while they're doing it, they find cancer somewhere. You know, heaven will tell all the times that God has protected us. We only have to get a taste of the nightmare of the world to say that whether you believe in God or not, he is offering protection to you lots of times, over and over and over and over. Believers understand him in certain ways. He gives his name uh, refuge or rock. One I you know, just discovered that I thought was wa- wonderful is he is a wall of fire. Some of you Harry Potter fans, maybe you remember in Half-Blood Prince where they go into the cave to get one of the Horcrux and it's, you know, it's just a, it's an evil place. And uh, Harry falls into that water and what? I mean, just dead people in the water. That thing is just, that's really unnerving, right? I mean, Deep water is bad enough, but he's in that water, and what Dumbledore does is he just creates this circle of fire, this wall of fire, so he can be rescued. The Lord putting a fire around you, delivering us. But there's a larger goal, because God could deliver us, and I think one of the most instructive places here is Jesus' own temptation, where Satan quotes this to him, when he says, you know, why don't you throw yourself off the pinnacle? Of the temple, And he says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your ways. He's basically saying to Jesus, why don't you take the promise and why don't you use it to save yourself? 
And the Son of God himself doesn't do it. Because God had a greater purpose. Listen to this quote. If you pray for health, God will either give it or the strength to endure sickness, whichever is better. If you pray for deliverance, he will either give deliverance or comfort in trial, whichever is better. God does not break his promise, but changes it to the better, to whatever will most benefit you spiritually and support your chief end. This is what he's doing, because as we said last week, he has a greater goal of just giving people comfort. He's trying to make us into something. But let me close out with, I think, the most helpful thing that God brings us in affliction, and that's presence, not absence. You heard the Isaiah song. We sang it. He is in the flood. He's in the fire. Jesus was in the boat on the storm. He was in the guard's chamber when he was getting beaten. Jesus was under the whip. Jesus was on the cross. This is the Christian faith, the God who becomes real and enters into our affliction, not because he doesn't know what affliction is. He knows everything. So that we would know that our high priest is equipped in every way. Tempted in every way that we would know that he knows. That I can bring my affliction to him. He is the suffering servant acquainted with grief. The great high priest tempted in every way. It's, uh, you know, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month and it got me thinking about Uh, the church in Latin America, and I came across some um, readings on the persecution of Christians in Colombia, mostly by military groups. In these military groups that go into villages and take children, right, turn them into child soldiers. And uh, one, one child just tells the story of how, you know, for weeks they would play with us and, you know, do all, just this talk about grooming, right? Some of you have heard that term. To bring them into a place. And you have uh, atrocities committed by these children against other families. And one little girl that said she heard gunshots and she ran to be comforted by her father and mother. But instead found them dying. And, you know, she just broke down and said, isn't God supposed to answer our prayers? Right? What helps us in these times? It's the presence of God. I mean, the promises of God will an eventual healing, but it's the presence of God. Just like the presence of God's church in those moments is the comfort that we need in affliction. The presence of the Lord. God who becomes flesh. This is the distinctive of the Christian faith. You know, the deeper I go into the faith is not just a minister, but a believer. I just see how it speaks and says things and does things that just aren't found anywhere else. Spirituality doesn't help you in affliction. A distant God doesn't help you in affliction. Only a just God will just get you mad and vengeful in affliction. But an incarnate Son of God a man of sorrows who walks and then is raised, he will help you in affliction. He will be near. And we will end by hearing this. These are the last words you will hear. It won't be 
going down to the grave. It will be, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what's coming. That's the end of affliction. That's where the promise of God comes to fulfillment. And that's the task we have before us as a community. We walk together in our affliction. We weep. We know the man of sorrows. We hold to his promises. And we're going to enjoy that together. I hope, I don't know how heaven's going to work, but I hope we get to be with an eye shot of each other when that thing gets declared. Because you have a special bond with the people that you traveled with. Right? You journeyed with. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us, teach us what it means to believe you, even if belief is pouring out our heart, that's faith too. Help us to know, help us to hold on to the promises and hold on to each other. And Lord, we know that as Paul suffered, he's already there, he's comforted. And saints that we know, their race is already done. They are with you. The time is short. In Christ's name, amen.